ask you guys a question. Who here has ever been skydiving? All right, we got a couple. We got, yeah, I see you. I see you back there. Okay, so I, those of you who know me now probably can't believe that I did this, but I did, in fact, actually go skydiving. Yes, um, it was supposed to conquer my fear of heights. It did not. That's a total lie. Um, but when I was in college, I went skydiving. And I know we've all seen the movies, you know, Mission Impossible, stuff like that. Tom Cruise just leaping out of the plane in Mission Impossible 15. Okay. It is not actually like that. Let me just, let me just paint a, a more accurate picture of what, it, what it, it's actually like. So the first time you go, you jump what's called tandem, which means that you are attached to the instructor, which is, you know, for the best, because in the moment, as you're leaping out of the plane, I don't want to be making those decisions as far as, like, when to pull the cord or whatever. I want somebody else to do that for me. And so, but basically, you are in, like, a glorified baby carrier attached to the front of this instructor who's, you know, probably going to jump, you know, 10 more times that day, and his name is Fritz. I'm pretty sure my instructor's name was Fritz. And so, first of all, you watch this video. You get put in this really unflattering jumpsuit or whatever. You get attached to your instructor, and then you spend 20 minutes sitting in this, like, recently decommissioned airplane as you, you know, climb to cruising altitude or jump altitude or whatever, questioning every decision you made that brought you to this moment. And at some, at some point, there, there is no, like, running and, like, out of the plane. Like, it's not, it's not like that at all. You, you and the instructor together do this awkward baby scoot on your butts because there's no seats in the plane. You're just sitting on the floor, okay? Like leaning up against this guy that you just met for 20 minutes, questioning every decision you made that brought you to this moment. And so we, you do like this glorified baby scoot that like gets you and your instructor to the door, which has now been opened for you. And so <clears throat> you're just sitting on the floor with you know your four legs dangling out of the airplane. And he taps you on the shoulder, and then you just unceremoniously roll out of the front of the plane. <laughs> like, that's all it is. It's just like, and, and, you know, you just hope that you don't smack the plane on the, on the way out. But, you know, there's, like, math and physics and something that'll make sure that doesn't happen. And then, you know, you fall, and he, you know, he pulls the cord, and, and you're, like, my, my parachute opened. You know, spoiler alert, it opened. I'm fine. We're good. I'm here. But they tell you, before you even get on the plane, they say there is a point in somewhere, I think it's somewhere between when you're sitting up against the instructor and the baby scoot, there is a point where you basically have to decide whether you're really going to do this or not, whether you're all in for this or not, because there actually comes a point where it is actually more dangerous for you to turn back than it is for the instructor to basically say, I don't care what you think, we're rolling out of this plane. It becomes, like when you're dangling out of the plane, you can't make the decision at that point that you don't wanna do this anymore. It's too dangerous for the instructor to get himself and you back into the plane at that point. He's like, we're going whether you want to or not. And so there comes a point where you have to decide whether you're all in or not, or the decision is gonna get made for you. And that's what I wanna talk about this morning is all in and the idea of being all in. 
For those of you who know me, or you know that this is one of my core values. This is one of my life values. This is something that is a very integral part of who I am. The way I choose to live my life, the way I choose to serve in ministry is with this all-in mentality. But I think there's people in the room right now, when I say all-in, something inside of you just kind of like cringes, or something inside of you just kind of closes off to that idea. Maybe in the past you had a leader or a coach or a teacher who tried to drill this into you, into this, val this value into you, and it just kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. Or maybe you served in a church or served in a ministry where the ministry leader or the ministry director was like, guys, we got to be all in and we got to do this and it's all for Jesus, it's all for the Lord, just do it. And it kind of left this, it just left you feeling not great on the inside and it left you feeling a little bit cynical and a little bit jaded. And when people talk about all in, you're just kind of like, mm, pass. And so... So I, but I don't want to talk about it like that. I don't want to talk about it in like a go harder, push faster, be better. You know, this isn't the Marines, all right? I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about it like that. I want to actually take some time this morning and look at an example from Scripture, look at an example from the Bible, and look at what it actually looks like to be all in for God and how that can actually look in your own life as you go from this place. But before we do that, I want us all to just close our eyes and pray. God, I want to ask right now that you would come and you would speak to any areas in ourselves that feel like, I don't really want to talk about this. I don't really, I felt like somebody in, in my past maybe tried to teach this to me or tried to drill this into me and, and it didn't leave me feeling good. It didn't leave me feeling, feeling valued. It didn't leave me feeling the way that I think they thought it, it would make me feel. God, I ask that you would come and you would speak to any misunderstandings any walls that we've put up in our hearts, any experiences we've had in our past that maybe want us to want to help us close off to this, God, I ask that you would come right now and you would speak to these areas. God, I ask that you would open up our hearts, not to what I'm saying, but what, to your, what your word is saying to us and how you're speaking to us and how you have shown us in your word what it looks like to truly be all in for you and how we can live that out in our own lives. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So according to Merriam-Webster, the all-knowing, uh, the definition of all-in means that you are fully committed or involved in something. Fully committed or involved in something. Now, I'm sure, has anybody ever played poker? Not at EBI, but has anybody ever played poker? I played poker once with uh, Oreo cookies. I lost all of my Oreo cookies. But when you hear somebody go all in, it means that they are, they're laying it all on the line. They're putting all their Oreo cookies in, all right? Everything is on the line. They're not holding anything back. They are all in. And I, and I feel like this phrase is really used a lot in today's society. And it's not just by Christian circles. Like, it's something that you hear all the time, wherever you go, whatever you're doing. You know, we got to be all in for this and that or the other. And when I think about some of the most demanding jobs that are out there. We, I think about this value that gets kind of drilled into people of being all in. And so other than ministry sometimes, uh, two of the most demanding jobs out there that I could think of is uh, lawyers and doctors. Uh, one of my dear friends in college, she went on to become a lawyer and just had to go to school for like four or five more years after I was done, you know, grueling tests, had to take the bar exam. It was crazy. 
And so I, I just want to I just want to give you guys a picture of what it looks like to be a lawyer or a doctor in their first couple of years of, of working, whether it's you know first couple of years at a major firm or first couple of years as a resident, as a doctor. Okay, so this is a, this, these are some statistics according to the National Association for Law Placement. The average, so this is for lawyers, the average number of billable hours required from a first-year associate is 1,892 hours for, this is for the year 2016, 1,892 hours. But the average number of billable hours required for first-year associates at firms with more than 700 attorneys, so if you're, if you're working at a bigger law firm, is 1,930 hours. And so what is a billable hour? A billable hour is not the amount of hours you're in the building, the amount of, you know, you clock in, clock out. A billable hour is the work that you can do that your law firm can then charge somebody, charge a client, charge somebody for what you do. And so uh, I got this from uh, the Yale Law, Yale Law School. So, you know, Yale, they know what they're talking about. Okay. So let me just paint a picture of here of, of what it looks like to get 1,800 billable hours, okay? 1,800 is about 100 billable hours less a year than this number that I just quoted you. So this is what it looks like. Assume you work from 8 to 6 p.m. every day. Assume you take an hour for lunch, you take a couple coffee breaks, you need to spend some time, you know, checking your emails, going to meetings, stuff like that. This is not billable hour stuff. This is just stuff you need to do to sort of maintain where you're at. This means you're at work for 10 hours a day, but you may only bill seven and a half hours of that, of that time. So if you work five days a week, that's uh, 37 and a half billable hours a week. Um, so you've been at work for 50 hours, but you can only bill 37 and a half hours of those. Assume that you take three weeks of vacation a year, two weeks of holiday a year, no sick or personal days at all, so no getting sick. You'll have to work for 47 weeks a year. That brings you up to 1,762 billable hours. So that, we're not even at the 1800, 1,800 mark, let alone the 1,900 mark. And so you need to throw in some extra time there, um, throw in some extra, an extra hour and a half a week. So now you've been, you've, you're able to bill 1,832 hours, but you've been at work for 2,420 hours. So let's add in the commute to that because you're not living at the office, hopefully. So let's add in the commute to that. So let's say it takes you a half an hour to get from your home to your desk, not like your home to the parking lot, but like your home to the desk, I'm ready to work. You are working from 7.30 in the morning to 6.50 at night, including the commute. Or if, you work, if it takes you an hour to get to work, you're working from 7 a.m. to 7.20 p.m. Monday through Friday. That only gets you 1,834 billable hours, which is less than the average of what a first-year associate needs at law school. That is crazy. That is like a 12-hour day every single workday for a year, and you don't get sick, and you don't take any personal days. Like, like that is, that, that's it. That's what it looks like, okay? So that's what it looks like if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a, um, a lawyer. Let's look at what it's like if you are going to be a doctor. I've got too many notes up here, people. Too many notes. Okay, here we go. So this is a doctor. If, you're, if you want to be, if you want to be a doctor, your first year in medicine is what's called your residency, which means you know you're you're like you're like a a, a doctor in training. You're you're like you're like you know Meredith Gray or whatever in the first in the first season. All right, the first season, not season you know 95 or whatever they're on right now. Okay. So, so this is an article that came out in the Atlantic, which is a reputable uh, magazine. So it says residents in America, resident not like 
residents of the United States, like doctor residents in America, are expected to spend up to 80, 80 hours a week in the hospital and endure single shifts that routinely last up to 28 hours. 28 hours, with such work days required about four times a month on average. Overall, residents typically work more than twice as many hours annually as their peers in other white-collar professions such as attorneys and corporate law firms, a grueling schedule that potentially puts both caregivers and patients at risk. So who's going to go into medicine after they finish at EBI and C? And so that's what it looks like to be all in in some of these professions. That's what it looks like if you want to be a lawyer. That's what it looks like if you want to be a doctor. And across, this is not just something that's true for these professions. This is something that is true across the board in our society today. You know, bosses are always pushing us for more. We're, you know, uh, managers are always asking more of us. This whole attitude of go hard, don't quit, keep pushing. And a lot of times that often gets transferred into our Christian walk. And all of a sudden, being all in for God means doing more and striving more. And it can leave us feeling tired and feeling cynical and feeling like we're not enough. We're feeling like God is standing over us. He's always asking for more. He's always demanding more. He's always trying to get that little bit more out of me. And that's, that's what we feel like it's like to be all in for God. But that is not what God intended. I want to take some time this morning to look at a story from the Bible that answers the question, what does it actually mean to be all in? Not what society tells us it means to be all in, not what, you know, a boss at work tells you to be all in, not even sometimes what pastors or other Christian, Christian leaders that you've maybe had in your past have told you this is what it means to be all in. But what I feel like is what God intended for us. When he, when he desires us to be all in. So I want all of us to open our Bibles to Genesis the first book, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. And this is a story that I think we all know pretty well. Uh, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And we don't really, we don't have time here to, to read through all these verses, but again, I think this is a story that we're all familiar with. But I want to take some time this morning to highlight three truths from this story that I believe will shed some light on what it truly means to be all in. So truth number one, I can be all in when I understand who God really is. I can be all in when I understand who God really is. So in this passage, like I said at the very beginning, God comes to Abraham. He says, I want you to go to um, Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac there for me. And I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 22, verses 4 to 6. It said, Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. So the portion I want to highlight here is at the end of verse 5, where it says, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. 
I, a lot of times I've heard people say, well, Abraham said we because he didn't want Isaac to, you know, be worried about what was going to happen. Or, or <laughs> which I would be. Or, he, you know, he said we because he didn't want his servants to worry or be concerned or whatever. I don't actually think that's the case. I really believe that Isaac, in, I mean, that Abraham in his heart thought we are going to come back. Did, did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Yes. Had God proven his faithfulness to Abraham before and given him Isaac, the son of his promise? Yes. These are two irreconcilable truths. God said that Isaac would be the son through which Abraham's descendants would become as numerous as the stars in the sky. Then God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. These, these two truths do not line up. They do not make sense. But God, but Abraham knew who God was. He had walked with God before. He had seen God's faithfulness to him. He knew who this God was that was asking this of him. It did not make sense. I'm sure it did not make sense in his mind. But even though it did not make sense, Abraham knew who God was, and he said, yes, I will do it. Yes, I will go. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going, how everything is going to come to pass. But God, I know you, and I trust you, and I can be all in to what you're calling me to do. I don't think this was an easy journey for Abraham to make. It took about three days to get to Moriah. It was about a 50-mile trip for him to go there. I don't think he went skipping along the path uh, with joy and glee in his heart for what was coming. I think this was a very difficult journey for Abraham to take. I think this was very challenging for him, but he was able to take it, and he was willing to take it because he knew who God was. He wasn't this faraway person that he didn't understand, that he didn't know, that he didn't feel like knew him. He knew who God was. He knew that this God who had called him out of his homeland back when he was still Abram was the God of this moment right now and was the God who was asking him to do this. And again, he did not not know how it was going to turn out, but he could trust the Lord, and he could follow him, and he could be all in for what he was calling him to. When we are all in for God, we cannot help but follow where he leads us. When we know what he did for us, when we know how much he sacrificed for us, when we know that we were bought with a price when we know that he is the good father, when we understand his character, not as someone who's just wanting more out of us, but as someone who loves us and has a plan for us, we can follow him even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't, doesn't line up with what, how we think it should be going. We can trust him. We can follow him. We can be all in for what he's asking us to when we know who he is. But when we don't know who God is, when we don't know his character, when we don't understand how he feels about us and how he views us, we can see him as just another boss. We can see him as just another person who's trying to tell us what to do. We can see him as just another person who's trying to take something of us, trying to take more of our time or more of our resources or more of our energy and demand something more out of us. And we, and we hold, we, we begin to take on this posture of, of protecting ourselves. 
God, I can't, I can't trust you with that. You can't have that. God, I, I don't know how you're going to work there, so I'm just going to keep this back from myself, and you can't have that. And we can't fully be all in to all that he has for us if we don't trust his nature, and we don't trust his character, and we don't know who he is or how he feels about us. But when we know that, when we know who God is, we can trust him, and we can follow him, because we know that he is faithful, and we know that he that he has the best for us. Truth number one, I can be all in when I understand and I know who God really is. Truth number two, and this is probably the one for me that has spoken so deeply to my heart, especially in these past couple years. All in is not about what I do or how much I work. It is about the condition of my heart. All in is not about what I do or how much I work, it is about the condition of my heart. Let's pick up the story in Genesis 22, uh, Genesis 22, verses 9 through 13. Um, You know, they've, Abraham and Isaac have left the servants. They've traveled up the mountain. Um, Isaac asked Abraham, you know, where is the ram for the sacrifice? Abraham said, the Lord will provide it. Verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. You know, I think we can read this story, maybe for the first time, or maybe we've read it several times, and we can look at the story and we can say, how could God ask Abraham to do that? Why would God want Abraham to do that? That's terrible. Why would God ask somebody to sacrifice their only son? I thought he was supposed to be good. I thought he was supposed to be loving. I thought he was supposed to be caring and kind. What what kind of a God is that? How can I trust a God like that? How can I give myself fully to a God like that? We can look at it and see God only wants more out of me. No matter what I do, it's never enough. No matter how much I give, it's never enough. We can look at that, this story, and we can see that. But what you have to grasp is what you have to understand is God was never interested in Isaac. God was never interested in in the sacrifice of Isaac. He was interested in the condition of Abraham's heart. Our measure of all in isn't about what we do. It isn't about what we show up to or what we don't show up to or how late we work or how many hours we punch in on the clock or how many times that we share the gospel or how many worship sets we lead or how many messages we preach. It's not about all the things that we do that make us look awesome. And it's not about all the things that we do that make other Christians look at us and say, wow, that's an awesome person. Our measure of all in is the condition of our heart. When God comes to us in the quiet places, when he comes to us when we're all on our own, and he asks us to do something, what is the condition of my heart? What is the condition of my heart before him? This really hit home for me in, 
in a, a new and fresh way a couple of years ago. So uh, back in 2017, I came home on furlough from China, and there was a lot of stuff going on inside me then. It was my first furlough um, ever. Uh, you know, life lesson, don't wait nine years to go on furlough, okay? You can write that down. That was, was for free. Okay. So I was home on furlough. I was feeling, you know, I was feeling a little bit lost about my future. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I had plans to go back to China. I had plan, you know, I kept my apartment. I kind of had plans to go back, but I really felt like the Lord was doing something in me that there was going to be a change coming and I wasn't sure what it was. And over the next couple months is when Toby started talking with me about, about Ephesus and starting Ephesus. And it didn't even have a name then. It was just this school that we want to start. And uh, so he started talking with me more about it. And I, I mean, I was, I was struggling with this choice. I mean, I was like crying in the shower because I didn't know what to do. And I, you know, one day I'd go to Toby and be like, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm all in for Ephesus. And then about a week later, I'd backpedal and be like, I'm all in for China. And there was a couple times I just wanted to go to China without a team, which don't ever do that either. I was just... I was going off the rails a little bit. And so I, you know, the decision was so difficult. And I was just struggling through this decision because on the one hand, I felt like God wanted to do something new with my life. But on the other hand, during that time, I just felt him reawaken and re-excite my heart for China in a way that it, I hadn't felt, honestly, in, in a few months and so back in July of 2018, we had a, a long-term workers retreat, and I was running that. And so I flew over to China, and I really hadn't made a decision yet about what I wanted to do. It was either going to be Ephesus or going back to China. And I really hadn't made a decision. And I wasn't planning, honestly, on making a decision while I was there. I was just going to go over and run this retreat and come back and, and kind of carry on. And I, I went back to China, this place that I had lived for nine years at that point, in the city that I had lived in for six years, and it just didn't feel the same. And it just didn't feel right. You know, everything was where it was supposed to be. You know, the team was there that I loved and cared about. Um, you know, the, the, my favorite restaurants were there. And, and it, wasn't, it, it was in no way this like, oh, I don't like China. I don't want to be in China. I don't like Chinese people. It wasn't anything like that. I was just there. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. I thought this would feel like home, and it doesn't feel like home. God, I feel like you're telling me that you're closing the door on China for this season. And after the retreat was over, I went up to the Xi'an City Wall, not the Great Wall of China, but the Xi'an City Wall, which is actually the oldest intact wall in the world. And it is my favorite place in Xi'an, maybe my favorite place in China, actually. It, it is the place back in 2009 when I went to Xi'an for the first time that I fell in love with Xi'an was, was on this wall. And it was, it was in July, it was in the evening, and, you know, it was dark, and it was, you know, it was in the 70s, it was really nice, and, um, you know, parents were up there with their kids, and they were playing, and I think there was some sort of festival, so there was all lit up, and it was beautiful. And I was just sitting there in my favorite place in China, feeling like, God was calling me away. And I remember sitting there and I said, God, I'll, I'll stay. I'll do it. I'll stay my whole life if you want me to. I'll do whatever you're calling me to, whatever you're asking me to. I'll do it. I'll stay. And he said, no. He said, no. And that broke my heart. 
that broke my heart. I was ready to stay there as long as he wanted me to. I was ready to do all that he wanted me to do there. I was making a list of all the things that I could do, all the ways that I could be effective, the difference that I could make with my life there in Xi'an, and I was ready to do it again in a way that I hadn't been ready in a long time. And I felt him saying no. And in that moment, in my favorite place in this country that I had called my home for, you know, 10 years at that point, I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. Was I going to be all in to all that he called me to? Was I going to be all in for where he was leading me and where he was directing me? Because in that moment, it wasn't about all the things that I could do for him there. It wasn't about the, the life that I could spend in China for him. It was, what was the condition of my heart? Where was my heart? Would I follow where he led me? Would I do what he was asking me to do in that moment? What was the condition of my heart? When we know who God is, and we know who we are, we can live a life that's all in. And again, it's not about how much we do, it's not about how we serve. It's not about the late nights that we put in. It's about our hearts. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. It did not make sense in that moment for me to leave China. I was fluent in Chinese. I knew the city. I could make such an impact for the kingdom there. It did not make sense for me to leave. All in is about saying yes when it doesn't make sense, when other people don't agree. When, when the world around you thinks that you're making a mistake, it's about doing God, what God says because you know in your heart there is no other way. There is no going back because your heart is all in for what he's doing. Do you guys want to see nations changed? You just came out a week of prayer. Do you guys want to see nations changed? Do you guys want to see cities transformed? Do you guys want to see people groups who do not have representatives in heaven right now, who do not know the name of Jesus? Do you want to see unreached people groups reach for the gospel in your day? Then there has to be something that rises up inside your hearts that says, there's no place you can, can't send me that I won't go. There's nothing you can't ask me to do that I won't do it. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. I will spend my life in any way that you ask me to because it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's about what you are calling me to. And there's nothing that I hold so sacred and there's nothing that I hold so dear that I wouldn't lay it all on the line for you if you asked me to because it's not about me and what I can do. It's about my heart. And I want my heart to always be postured in a position of God. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll speak whatever you want me to speak. I'll lay it all on the line for you because you are worth it. And you bought me with a price and my heart is all in for whatever you're calling me to and whatever you're asking me to. So truth number one, I can be all in when I know who God is. Truth number two, all in is not about what I do or how much I work. It's about the condition of my heart. And number three, the path of all in is always further out and deeper in. The path of all in is always further out and deeper in. 
That's a Tolkien quote, isn't it? Yeah, see, I knew I didn't make that up. No, that was totally ripped off. Okay, copyright. What we don't see in just this chapter, what we don't see in just Genesis 22, but what you can see is if you look at the whole book of Genesis and the whole story of Abraham, is the journey and the progression that God brought Abraham on. It wasn't like God showed up one day to Abraham and said, hey, take your son there and go sacrifice him. Okay, that wasn't, that wasn't how this whole relationship thing started, all right? You know, we look back, God shows himself to Abram. It wasn't Abraham yet. Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, he asks him, he calls him out of his country into a land that he will show him. Uh, in, you know, God just takes him on this progression of further out and deeper in. Uh, in Genesis 17, God asks Abraham to trust him to provide him a child in his old age. Uh, in Genesis 17, he also um, asks Abraham to circumcise himself and all the males of his household. I'm just going to leave that one right there. Okay. Talk about further out and deeper in. Hallelujah. Okay. <clears throat> and Moving right on. Okay, in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, uh, he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis chapter 21, he listens to God's voice and sends his son Ishmael and, ha and, ha and um, um, Sarah's servant Hagar away, trusting that God would make his son Ishmael a great nation and bless him. All of this is a journey that God brings Abraham on. And it's all every time He's calling him further out and deeper in to trust with him, further out and deeper in to relationship with him, further out and deeper in to being all in with him. How many of you guys like boats? Okay, more people than went skydiving. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, have you ever seen people try to get in a boat that don't really like boats? Or maybe they, don't, maybe they don't like boats, or maybe they're afraid of the water, or they think there's gross stuff in the water, or they can't swim. Okay, they're on the shore, and they're like, like one foot is in the water, and then the shore's not moving, but the boat is moving, and it's just, it's not pretty, it's not pleasant, all right? They are, they are just like doing this dance that always ends up with them falling in the water. It ends up with them falling in the water, or the boat gets pushed away, and it's just floating away. Sometimes, as Christians, I feel like we live our lives like that. We've got one foot in the boat and one foot in the water. We've got one foot, or one foot in the boat or one foot on the shore, or one foot on the shore and one foot in the water, and we're trying to make an impact for God that way. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep my foot here where I understand what is happening, and then I'm going to put one foot over here for you, Lord. It's a little crazy, but you're going to do something. And that's where I'm going to live my life right here in sort of this awkward dance of I'm going to keep one foot here where it's safe and I'm going to put one foot in the water and just kind of hope for the best. Guys, starting Ephesus, being a part of starting Ephesus was one of the scariest things after skydiving, one of the scariest things that I have ever done in my entire life. I, I agonized over, over this decision more than I ever agonized about going to China in the first place. Okay, I, this was hands down the scariest thing I have ever done in my life. Now, it's true. There have been times in my life when I had done other things that might seem scary or they might seem, you know, crazy or out there, but I always felt in those moments that I had, like, some sort of a lifeline, all right? 
hey, if I get kicked out of China, it's okay, I'll just fly back home. Or, hey, if I live on support but it doesn't work out very well, I'll just work in China and make oodles of money because I'm, you know, American and speak English and they love that. You know, I always felt like I had some sort of a lifeline. I was somehow connected to the shore in some way, in a way that made me feel like, okay, it's all right, it's fine. I'm like 75% in and that's fine, that's great making an impact for the kingdom. Okay, when I was in starting Ephesus, I am in like a middle of, in the middle of a lake. My paddles are gone. I'm just sitting in a boat with no paddles, just in the middle of the lake. We've got no money. We've got no students. We are like totally dependent on him. And I'm like, God, I am all in for this. There is no, there is no shoreline anymore. The paddles are gone. I am all in for this right now. I am all in for you in a way that I've never been before. But I could see in my past how he was preparing me for that moment. All of these steps along the way in my path with him, all of these steps along the way in my walk for him were preparing me for this moment. Did I still feel out of my element? Yes. Did I still feel like I didn't 100% know what I was doing? Yes. Did I still feel like I wasn't sure if things were gonna work out? Yes. Do I still feel like that sometimes? Yes, but I know who my God is. I know the ways that he's been faithful to me in the past. I know the ways that he's shown himself faithful to me. I am all in for him. There is no going back. The only way for him is forward. The only way is to go deeper out into what he's calling me to because I want less of me on the shoreline and more of me out in what he's calling me to. Do you guys want to do big things with your life for God? Do you guys want to catch big fish for God? Do you guys want to kill sharks and slay dragons for God? I know you do. I know you do. You wouldn't be here. You aren't, there are, there are you know, easier ways to make a living than being in ministry. Okay, let me tell you. All right, there. You would not be here today if you did not want to make an impact for the kingdom. But I got to tell you guys this, if you want to make an impact for the Lord, if you want the Lord to use your life for all that it can be used for, then you have got to stop standing on the shore of life, fishing for guppies, hoping that a shark is going to come by when he's calling you out to the deep waters. You've got to stop standing there with one foot on the shore and one foot in the boat saying, okay, God, I'm sort of in. Bring me a shark. I'm ready to, I'm ready to kill it. When he's calling you further out, and deeper in, you have to go. You have to trust him. You have to be all in to what he's calling you to. And you know what, guys? He's going to meet you there. He's going to meet you there. He's not going to leave you floundering in the water. He's not going to call you out there and just leave you to your, to your own devices. He will meet you there. He will be there in ways that you've never experienced him before. The levels of his provision and the levels of his love and his grace and his power moving through you are going to be such that you've never experienced that before. But you've got to move forward because it's always further out and deeper in with God.